everybody, welcome to the Superposition podcast. We are so glad that you could join us again this week. Uh, I'm Christopher Benick, and I'm here with my co-host, Duncan Platt. How are you doing, Duncan? I'm doing well, thank you, Christopher. I'm doing well. How was your week? Uh, good, good. Uh, got through Holy Week. Uh, that kind of sounds terrible, but I think that's the life of a, <laughs> a pastor. Uh, you kind of get through Holy Week, right? Yeah. And so it's it's great and wonderful. It's also exhausting. And so by the end of Holy Week, you're ready for the next week uh, to get <laughs> get going. And this is really different because a lot of pastors are used to taking a break, I think, after Holy Week. And you know, now that we're in kind of COVID-19 mode, we're all in the bunker, uh, there there really are no breaks. So it's like you just go right into the next thing. And so yeah. uh, that's that's been really different. Uh, you know, last week we went to or last year we went to Key West for three days. And so oh, wow. uh, after afterwards. So this week, you know, I went to the living room. Uh, yes. So <laughs> that, that's what we did this <laughs> this well, past week. Though it was a, quite the adventure. How about yeah. you? What, what rooms of your house have you visited recently? <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear that you treated yourself a little. That's good. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, really stepping it up. Well, we we tried to get out a little um, this week, and and we made it all the way to the driveway. Um, with uh, my in-laws and my wife, we set up a couple of chairs, and um, my wife had this idea. She she does this frequently. She's um, uh, very smart in terms of keeping things interesting. So she set up this little station outside with a book and a chair and something nice to drink. And so I spotted her out the window. I didn't even know she was doing that, and I thought that's great. I uh, so I collected a chair and joined her and took a book with me and. Uh, invited the in-laws to join us for that and it was good it was actually fun to just sit outside in the sun uh, how strange that we <laughs> sit in our driveway and see that as an adventure but uh, and, and your your wife was like darn it this was my alone time no, just, <laughs> yeah, just she was enjoying the space and <laughs> <Yeah>. we intruded <laughs> so now she's on the roof yeah. and <laughs> yeah oddly i don't know where she is i looked outside yeah. she's not there she's i walked through the house she's not there so she's in someone else's driveway now <laughs> i have no idea what's going on yeah what have funny. you been what have you been doing during this i mean what do you do i mean you're working we're all working right so yeah. uh, I, I see all these celebrities they're like i don't have anything to do i'm like you need to give me a call i got plenty yeah. of stuff for you to do you don't have so, something to do <laughs> i got a so, list <laughs> yeah, yeah there's there's a lot to be done. Um, yeah, I think that you know I'm, I'm, I'm. I was thinking about it yesterday, having a conversation with my wife, just thinking about the situation that we're in, and I think we're privileged in that we can continue working. Uh, and for us, life is life has changed in in terms of how we do life. But I've always worked from home. I've always worked for companies both uh, in the United States and Europe and and in South Africa. And so I've always worked very digitally, but um, yeah, it's been work mostly. It's been trying to organize the house, uh, which has been a fun administrative process, and and also just try and find uh, order in what I'm doing with work because it feels like work is now bleeding into everything because we just can't escape uh, work. I, you know, we can't go see friends or go to a restaurant. Right. Honestly, I, I'm a bit of a, a foodie, so for me, 
we were speaking about it last night and I said, the one thing I'm looking forward to the most is being able to go to my favorite restaurant, an Italian restaurant in Fort Lauderdale. And I just cannot wait. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, do they do takeout right now or not? I don't think so. Really? Uh, yeah. So we, we have a Mexican restaurant we go to and they stopped doing takeout and we're just like, oh, oh no. Brutal. So fortunately, my my wife is a Texan, so she can make Tex-Mex with that's the best awesome. of them. But, and, and your week is, you know, what have you guys been up to? Uh, well, I mean, it's different, right? Because it's like we don't have normal we don't have normal work week. We have a five year old. So that really, yeah. you know, that's that throw some excitement into the mix oh, and you don't always get to do what you want to do because sometimes if my son has, you know, needs that need met. And so, um, so one thing I've been doing, I've since the beginning of the year, every day I've walked 10,000 steps. And so I get out and I, I do that. So, uh, wow. so that, that's been something, but I usually am on the phone. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Actually, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, by comedians, you know, and as we're doing our podcast and trying to get the tech kind of squared away so we don't sound like Darth Vader like the first couple episodes, right? So, so like I've been listening to other, po- yeah, yeah, as we breathe, that's not intentional, folks. Uh, yeah, those are that's tech- not a feature, that's a bug. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, Unless you want to buy it as a feature, and then <laughs> and then we have to have a conversation because you're weird. Uh, but uh, the you know, so I've been walking and and I I listen to a lot of stuff. I've been listening to a lot of comedians podcasts, and what I realize is these people are like funny on stage, but a lot of times they're not funny in person. Like uh, you know, or on their podcast, they're yeah. Uh, some of them are painful to hear, and some of them are kind of wonderful to hear, like because. You actually uh, you hear you hear about them or just their demeanor as such that it's uh, you know it's it's kind of an attractive thing to listen to and so it's really been interesting for me to see that because there's people that I probably like on stage more than I like on their podcast and I might not like them on stage but I like their podcast. That is very uh, interesting. And so uh, so that's been an interesting thing just trying to and trying to hear what people talk about and. I actually heard on one podcast, uh, people were talking about uh, coronavirus and how they approach God uh, in this podcast. And it was comedians, uh, two popular comedians. And uh, they kind of just got off on this on this subject. And realistically, like they said that um, they kind of get into transactional theology effectively. Like when they get into these situations, they always go to like, hey, look, hey, God, I haven't talked to you in a while. But uh, if you make this COVID thing go away, I'll give you, you know what I mean? Like it's like almost like a bartering <laughs> thing. And they realize that that's dumb, but uh, but they still do it. And it, it kind of it brought up for me like, you know, how if we're not formationally intentional about going through the processes of kind of growing in our relationship with God, then it becomes one of those things where we really do just kind of come back to God as like a, almost like a seven 11, right? When we need something, then we, then we go to God, right? Like, you know, uh, you know, fill my tank for right now and I'll, you know what I mean? Or <laughs> whatever, whatever, snap into the heavenly slim gym, uh, of whatever, whatever my need is right now. Right. And so, so it's really like it's it's a it was interesting to hear people talk about that. And then also for 
the people who are talking to, to talk about how they're not, they don't see themselves as like overtly religious. They're not people who attend church all the time. Uh, but they also recognize that that's important to people. And actually they had kind of some critiques of, um, you know, critiques of what they were doing. Uh, and, and actually that this is, uh, I don't know if you know who Whitney Cummings is, uh, she's a pretty famous comedian. And then there's a, a gal who's probably 10 years younger than her, uh, Taylor Tom Tomlinson, who's got a special on Netflix now. And they were the okay. ones talking about it. And, and Tomlinson apparently grew up in a pretty, and they're both, uh, you know, uh, they're, my kind of critique of comedy is there's not a whole lot of clean comedy anymore. Um, and so, uh, and I actually think it's harder for people to actually be clean comics uh, is my, my opinion. But, um, but, but listening to them talk, you know, Taylor Tomlinson grew up in kind of a, it sounds like a more fundamentalist household. And so there's obviously been some rebellion from that, that she talks about, but they also talk about, uh, you know, uh, how, how they're, how they're, uh, moving into uh, a different uh, different season of their life and how these needs are really important. So just trying to just trying to figure out for them how God is uh, God is present, and it just made me realize that I think we're we're all aware of of that, but we don't always um, you know we don't always verbalize it. And I really appreciated how they were verbalizing it. They were verbalizing a lot of stuff. I mean, they had like a three hour podcast, but, but it's one of those things where I, I thought it was really, it was fascinating to hear, um, hear that in this moment of Christ that helps how people kind of revert back, you know? And so anyhow, I thought that was good. Um, well, let's get into like kind of our first article today. Uh, the first article that I found uh, was, about how World of Warcraft is actually helping coronavirus researchers uh, think about the pandemic and how they can deal with it. And so the the background of this story is that apparently in 2005, there was a virus in the game and they had, uh, it's a, a a temporary condition that was created in the game that if you, if players, players would get it from one of the bosses they were playing and the, the damaging effect was called corrupted blood. Okay. And so uh, they would get corrupted blood. And then it was meant that when they were essentially in this like dungeon, they would fight the boss. They could get corrupted blood, but it forced them to stay away from one another. They had to social distance and and (laughs) wow, because if they got too close it, they would catch it from one another. Well, somehow, and the developers did not mean it to leave the dungeon, but somehow it got out of the dungeon. Uh, it got out of the bat cave from Wuhan. Uh, wow. And, and so it, it ended up becoming this thing where it was like taking over. Wow. And it would kill your player dead and you couldn't. And wow, you have to go back and you're like with your spirit to kind of uh, respawn your body. Yeah. And, uh, and you'd get there and the problem would be is someone could be right by where your body was and you'd get it again and you'd die immediately. And so it was one of these things where people who had been playing for a very, very long time, I mean, had had years in the game, I guess, uh, were just dying off like crazy. Um, And so uh, 
they Blizzard was had to end up restarting every WoW server to stop it from spreading out of control. Like they literally had to do a reboot. So I just thought it's pretty interesting how when they're looking at this, they're saying, well, you know, we're doing social distancing. We're doing all this stuff uh, where we're trying to stay away from one another. And now we've seen where there's actually uh, the president has put out information about how people can reacclimate back into into society. So he has kind of posted on his Twitter account um, because that's the place where apparently we all get our news from is Twitter now. But uh, but he's posted like what the process of reacclimation is. And it's it's kind of it's set up in a way where, uh, you know, after there is sufficient ability for mass testing, in other words, where everyone is able to get a test if they need a test, which nowhere in the United States is that the case, my understanding right now. But once we're at that place, then once we show that 14 days have passed where there's been a decrease in the COVID cases in uh, in our area, then local authorities can start making a decision about moving into phase one. And phase one would not allow churches unless they're under 10 people to meet because you're still uh, you know, restricting who, who can meet. But interestingly enough, like gyms, I think, can meet, can open if they follow strict sterilization process, which is, sounds really strange to me. But uh, and people keep distancing and stuff. But there's three levels of this. Um, and and it's like 14 days. So what that tells me right now is, you know, churches really wouldn't even start opening until level two. And if they're bigger churches, they wouldn't probably even till level three. So that means, you know, minimum two months. Uh, you know, there, I don't see this happening. And what it does is it also in a probably pretty, pretty politically savvy move by the president. Uh, it's a move towards federalism uh, when, you know, people never do that. Right. And so uh, realistically, what it allows is for States to determine when they're going to reopen based on these criteria, recommended criteria, because I don't think the president, um, I mean, the president could issue executive orders, I suppose, but he's not trying to control at the state level. And there was pushback from the Texas governor. And then it also allows for local authorities uh, to do that. So like I'm in Miami, uh, where our church is, is the second highest population density south of New York City. So uh, it's one of those things where we're going to we have different kind of social dynamics because of the high rises and stuff than, than most people have. Right. And yeah. so, um, so anyhow, so I just thought it was really interesting that they're, they're looking at this, um, they're looking at, and they're, you know, they're looking at how people reacted to this with their avatars to, to actually say, well, what are some of the issues that we might be dealing with? Um, and, you know, part of it is, is what they can do is, is they can start to see by the way people kind of defended their avatar or what they expected their rights would be, or the way they complained to Blizzard. Oh, they wow. can see some patterns uh, as to how we would, we would uh, act. So the good thing is, is there's not a need in World of Warcraft for toilet paper. So, uh, there, <laughs> so there, I'm sure, there was. I'm sure there was people no, were hurting something else, there, though. There were, yeah, there was no, there was no hoarding of of toilet paper in World of Warcraft. Um, so that's good. But that would have been a really cool uh, Easter egg for people to be able to find. 
So, uh, but, but, so that's my first one. What, what do you got? That is, that is really fascinating. Just to say, I remember reading about that years ago, but I never thought I would necessarily see the practical implication or the result of the research that people had garnered from that. Um, but I remember the issue. Yeah. And it was a bug that actually caused all of this. Um, fascinating, fascinating story. It's, it's cool that we can, it's cool and scary that we can do that in that virtual space as well. Yeah. But what it says to me is when we're talking about kind of simulation theory, um, there is really something to be said for us thinking about our world, uh, uh, from a, you know, a theology of technology or kind of a digital perspective, uh, even what we call our physical world, to be thinking about it that way, because we can create and simulate in our digital world things unintentionally that are happening unintentionally, we think, in, in our world, right? And so, um, sure. so that's a kind of an interesting, interesting thing. But I don't know. So, so, uh, so, what do you have? So with that, I mean, that's maybe a good segue um, into an interesting article that I uh, read. This article was published uh, last month, but interesting nonetheless. It was an interview by uh, IGN with the co-founder and CEO of a computer game company, a video game company by the name of Valve Software. They're most well-known, I think, for the Half-Life franchise, the Counter-Strike franchise later on, at least. Um, uh, Team Fortress, Dota, Portal, really a successful company. And, and they're one of the people really driving the virtual reality uh, adoption right now. They're, they're working really hard to build infrastructure for that, be it uh, gaming engines that people can build games that are built for VR. They also have their own VR hardware, uh, so a headset and tracking devices, um, which I've heard is really good. I, I'm, I'm not too well-versed. That's more more your space, uh, Christopher, than mine. Um, but they, they do a lot of work in that space, and they've actually recently released a game that they believe will push the bar in terms of how people engage in VR. The game is called Half-Life Alex, and it was released uh, a little while ago. Uh, in this year but anyway in this in this interview uh, Gabe Newell the CEO and founder uh, CEO and co-founder speaks a little bit about some of the things that he's busy with right now how he's spending his time as the the chief executive of the company and the things that that he believes will be pushing the bar in the future again it's uh, you know one of the things that Valve has always done is push the bar and so he was talking about a lot of work that he's investing both from a Valve perspective, but also with other researchers in putting together a human computer interface, um, what they're calling an HCI. And he was just talking about how, you know, they're, they're in the process of, of experimenting with ideas and concepts and um, how to connect human beings and their brains to computer realities, virtual realities, uh, simulated realities. And so, yeah, I mean, he just uh, remarked in this interview how he thinks that connecting to people's uh, motor cortex and visual cortex is, is easier than people expected. 
and, and some of the work that he's done has shown that. And and uh, no, what does believes- that what does that mean? I wonder. Like easier than expected. Like we thought it was impossible, but now we have a shred of hope. Or is it? <laughs> or is it like? We thought that you had about an eighty percent chance of dying as they installed it, yeah. but it turned out it was only twenty percent. Yeah, it's seventy-eight <laughs> percent. <Yeah. laughs> right. So no, I, I have absolutely yeah. no idea. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but his his um remarks in this video or in this interview was that he believes that two things. I think the first is that this is this is um quicker around the corner than we think it is. This is going to be a reality sooner than we anticipate. Uh-huh. I think uh, when we think about this, it's something that is 20, 30, 40 years, maybe in the next generation worth. And, and the way he's thinking about it, it, it sounds like it's, it's definitely around the corner in terms of the next five to 10, 10 years. But what's interesting on top of that is, is what his speculation or his, his theory as to how it heralds a dramatic change in terms of how we will consume and think about media. Now, above and beyond that, it opens up some really interesting, I think, ethical questions in terms of uh, transhumanism, also a topic that I know you're you're well versed in. Um, but just, you know, what does the future look like when we plug into a machine and it, it feeds us a different reality. And that could be anything from touch and smell and taste all the way through, and I, I mean, super hardcore all the way through to, you know, just a, an experience where you feel transported physically to another world where we have full control over that. I mean, it's, it's VR on, on steroids it's accelerated vr so it's like it's like the uh, oasis and ready player one right exactly yeah Yeah. exactly so that's an interesting thing um yeah i mean i i think it's it's interesting to think about that stuff i uh, for me i'm i'm always skeptical when people say you know i mean uh oh yeah yeah it's like ray kurzweil who i think ray is a brilliant guy i don't think there's any denying that. I don't think anyone would deny that. But I also think Ray is out there on certain things. And I think most people who are reasonable wouldn't deny that fact either. Uh, And so, you know, it's like he, um, he takes, I don't know how many supplements a day, but it's like, like 70 pills or something crazy a day. Like, uh, if you read the uh, transcendent or watch the transcendent man, which is a documentary about him, like, uh, and, and I've spoken at events with him, you know, and at those events, he talks about things like they're right around the corner. But some of the stuff, if you actually talk to neurosurgeons, they go, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, that's great sci fi, uh, yeah, yeah. but we're nowhere close to understanding how X works. Right. And so, sure. yeah. so I, why I don't doubt that I'm sure there are breakthroughs and there's probably things that we would see them and they'd look borderline miraculous to us. On the flip side of that, I am not. You know, until I see it five years from now or 10 years from now, I'm not convinced that it's right around the corner on any of that. And I don't think we're going to be we're going to be faced with the red pill, blue pill scenario soon. Uh, Now, does it mean we won't ever be able to do it? No, I absolutely do think at some point we will be able to do it. And I think why it's important and the good things that that those discussions 
foster right now is for us to start thinking about what it means to be human, particularly as Christians made in the image of God, and what does it mean to be made in the in the image of a creator God, a redeemer God, or in a digital world, a spirit God, and, and for us to start thinking through that stuff. Uh, because I do think it has implications on how we treat technology and kind of how we address the world. So if we just think, um, like if we think about technology simply as a tool and not a greater part of creation, then I think it's easier for us to kind of fall follow escapism theology where we just want to discard it if we think it's bad, as opposed to being intentional about trying to redeem it. Right. And so uh, there are obviously uses of technology that don't help people, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's the technology that's the issue <laughs> necessarily. It means that it's, you know, the operator or the stewards of the tech, uh, the caretakers of the tech that that could be the issue. And so I think it raises larger questions about what is going to be our virtue proposition that and what are the virtues that guide us as we look at these technologies uh, and how do we, how do we talk about those and, and a pretty articulate way that, you know, that includes other concepts of reality. Like I, I have no problem if all of our movies and everything went into that, that frame, you know, that kind of frame of existence uh, that could be cool. Um, on the flip side is we don't actually know what that means either. Right. Like it's one yeah. thing, it's one thing now when we see a movie or we play a video game and there's a blatant separation uh, from our perspective, right? We don't feel like we are the computer screen uh, when we're actually, but that may be a false perception right now. Uh, and the question becomes like, you know, there's always these conversations about whenever there's a school shooting, uh, you know, like did video games, were they the reason behind it? Personally, I would say no, actually. I, I don't think they are. I don't think there's any – I think that's kind of an antiquated argument, and, and you know, people who believe that are just grasping at straws because we don't want to actually deal with kind of the hard things that deal with, with those issues. Like how do we actually help people who have real mental health needs or who are really going through real depression and things like that that, that yeah. there aren't easy solutions to. It's, it's muddy work. But, but I think when you get into these issues and you start talking about, well, how do we – um, you know, if I'm an immersive reality that I have no, I mean, even in VR now, you can be an immersive reality. You see videos of people who are particularly older people, but you see people who are in this, those realities and they forget that they're in a virtual environment. Uh, and so they fall over or whatever. And then of course we laugh at them because that's the Christian thing to do. Uh, and so we, you know, we, we see that stuff and then, um, you know, you look at it and go, okay, so what if we had a direct connection where we were tapping into it in our brain? And then the question is, is, is that reality, even though it's a construct that we've created, is that any less real than our present physical reality? And I think that becomes a really interesting question because um, certainly there's things that we have to do biologically in this construct. Uh, the question is, is, do we always have to do those things uh, or are there ways around that? And that's what, you know, science fiction is made of, right? You got all these like, uh, um, uh, what's the, uh, I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. There's uh, 
there's a Netflix like series that came out not too long ago. Uh, or uh, no, they they it's uh, I'm blanking on it right now, but which is very Black Mirror-ish. Uh, I'm uh, there. There's a uh, it's uh, they have stacks in the back oh yeah of their, altered carbon in the back of their head. Uh, thank you. Uh, and so like that, right? There's there's a concept that hey, we're not necessarily limited to yeah. one physical form, uh, which is a it's an interesting philosophy because it doesn't take away the christian idea of embodiment but it doesn't it doesn't eliminate the concept of soul whatever that means or spirit uh or some combination of soul spirit and it also doesn't even in that that show they don't eliminate the concept of mystery of the things that we don't know about right and so they still have there's still kind of a spirituality that's going on in that show and a mysticism. So I, I think all that stuff gets really interesting as we start to think about it, because uh, it kind of pushes the reality of saying, well, um, you know, what does it look like to be us in a different, in a different simulation than we experience now, if we want to call it that. And maybe when we start talking about what the integration of heaven and earth, the interlocking of heaven and earth looks like, Maybe that's another version of that. Uh, you know, do you go to the bathroom in heaven? I don't know. Uh, you eat, so. <laughs> but you know, and are they toilets made of gold? I we don't know. You know, like I who, who I, I don't know. Is that better or worse? We don't know. You know, so the <laughs> the but but it does kind of raise kind of all these like practical. I mean, I I remember um, studying about. Um, yeah kind of animal ethics and having eschatological conversations about animal ethics. And it's like, well, if we're as Christians, if we're permitted to eat meat, right. Which is, I think in the new Testament, no one would deny that the new Testament says, Hey, that's okay. Um, and I, and I personally, I don't eat, I've stopped eating, uh, essentially, uh, red meat or chicken. I just, I just have, uh, and I've done that just this year. Um, but, but that's a decision I've made. Right. And so, um, health wise and kind of ethically, but it's like, if we did that, what does that mean for the animal? If we think that the animal has an eschatological existence, uh, and I've, I've read stuff where people don't really know, but they're kind of grasping at it. So they say, um, does the animal, uh, die and then is essentially reborn over and over again in, in that space because they're, they're consumed. Right. And you talk about heavenly banquet table, you know, or is it all, I mean, who knows, maybe it's all synthesized meat. Um, <laughs> we, you know, genetically created, I, I don't know, but uh, it's an interesting thing to think about when we think about animal ethics, right? Like it real, real quickly, we would talk about like, if our, one of our pets died, we would say, oh yeah, you know, Sparky's gone to, mm-hmm gone to heaven or whatever like and, and if somebody says that to me as a pastor does do my does my dog go to heaven um I, you know my my response is, is well i would think so you know like uh whatever that means i i you know uh, so but what does that what does that look yeah. for a cow that got ate you know what i mean or continues to be heavenly eaten i don't know what that means like it's it's a weird like right so you you have these kind of things that i think it's good for us we don't we're not going to probably know the answer to that but it's good for us to think about it because it then then like in animal ethics at some point like for me one of the things was just the health thing uh i thought well this isn't you know i, I wanted to lose some weight and so 
if I stop eating these things and then sure enough. Right. Uh, but it's, I've always had the ethical concern that I'm a hypocrite in the, from the ethical standpoint, because if I had to kill the thing that I was eating, I wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, and so if you asked me to go That's slaughter the cow myself, yeah. I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. And so, you know, it's like looking at those big brown eyes of the cow, it's not going to yeah. happen. And, uh, and so, you know, so then it raises that question for me. Well, what, you know, what, how would I do that? So, uh, I don't know. So, but you know, actually the Pope has, uh, the Pope has actually, I think last year, somebody, maybe it was longer ago than that, but, uh, somebody asked if their pets go to heaven and the Pope kind of gave this answer, uh, which I've heard some people joke about that was like, is the Pope just making stuff up as he goes along? Cause he was like, hmm, uh, do my dog go to heaven? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go ahead. You know, like, uh, so, but, uh, but now there's a video game, uh, that somebody has put out, um, that they are trying to get in, see if there's interest behind and it's called, uh, Pope simulator. Wow. <laughs> and so you can, you too can be like the, the pontiff, uh, himself and and the if you go online and look it up the trailer for this is fairly hilarious uh, it's you know you're greeting people in St. Peter's Square you're in uh, you're in the Sistine Chapel as you get elected it looks like uh, and so the the question I have behind this is why would someone create this because I, I think actually there's probably a real reason right you, you're creating this as and it's not that like, you know, oh, the world, we're so religious. We all want to be Pope. I don't think that's yeah, yeah. what's going on. You know what I mean? But I mean, if you were just going to say what, what do you think people's rationale would be for me? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Um, that <laughs> my answer is probably that's a good question. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I wonder if there's something to be like, I wonder if it's it's a little bit of people really do, even though we have kind of the Protestant understanding that we can talk directly with God, they feel like, hey, the Pope is somehow holier than I am. And maybe there's more of a religious, truly religious experience that I have being the Pope. You know what I mean? And it's almost this kind of and, – and I don't know that that's true. Uh, I, I would actually contend it's probably not true. Uh, and But but the question would be what would be the motivation behind this? Uh, and some of it could be like, oh, yeah, it's control. Maybe there are things that need reformed in the Catholic Church, and there's a hope that uh, – that. and you can say that about any denomination. Yeah, I'm just using this because obviously it's dealing with the Roman Catholic Church. But, but – um, you know, maybe people feel like, oh, well, uh, I don't like the, you know, the Catholic Church stance on women in ministry. And so, uh, you know, uh, if I was the Pope, here's what I would do. Now, I don't know if those are options yeah. in the game or not. Um, but uh, I, I just thought, what a fascinating thing that someone would, you know, because there's a lot of stuff, right? Like, I mean, well, I think about like Guitar Hero, when Guitar Hero came out, right? It's like, you can sing and be like a rock star or, you know, whatever, whatever the games are. And it's fascinating that someone would say, oh, now we can be like of all the things you could be like. Too, oh, right? I, I, like I hear what you're uh, saying. I, I think maybe that's I think you're a little too hopeful in terms of why people would want to play that. <laughs> 
you, you think you think people won't want to play no, it, or I, they, I people think, just want to make money? You know, you're talking about people are, are you know would want to play that because they'd have have um, ideals that that they differ on. I think, and, and maybe it is that I, I think you're you're seeing the the better in people, and, and maybe I'm not, but I think people people when I think about the pontiff, they. They want yeah. a GTA in yeah. the in the Popemobile? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> I think the yeah, but that's maybe one part of it. I I'd be curious to see how far they take it. Um, but I do I do think that the the Pope has almost the same stature, or well, he does the same stature and the same weight as as monarchs um, around the world, and even even you know the most well-known icon of that, the queen herself. So I think that a lot of people wonder what it would be like to to be that iconic character and to, you know, what would it be like to, to live out a, an average day or a normal day as the Pope? So I wonder if it's that. Well, have you... Have you seen the, uh, by any chance, on HBO, The Young Pope with Jude Law or now the series that... So the young Pope was like a, like a limited series, I think maybe, uh, or maybe it was the first part of a series, but now they came out with the new Pope. So it has June law, Jude law and John Malkovich. And without kind of giving it all away, Jude law is the Pope and he's super or unorthodox. And, uh, it's almost like he doesn't believe, uh, at some point, but then he performs miracles and he's like, He's almost like a skeptical of the miracles he's performing. He's like, whatever, I didn't do that. Like, that's just coincidence. Like, and so, but at the end of it, he goes into a coma of the young Pope. And so they have to elect a new Pope. They elect a Pope who is poisoned. And then they actually go after John Malkovich because the, the, the first Pope they, uh, they elect decides he's going to go closer to the Franciscan order and he makes everybody uh, give the, the bishops are all and the Cardinals are going to all have to give up yeah. their, their luxuries. And so he is essentially like, doesn't know this, but he's essentially taken out uh, because he, and, and the Franciscans are running around like kind of like his mob squad, like taking away stuff from people. It's fairly humorous, but uh, it's very an HBO-esque kind of show, and there's things that I'm oh, sure, sure people would oh, sure. be quickly offended but on. But there's also – but there are also these kind of deep things in there where it's – I actually, the thing I appreciate as as clergy in it is how these people are doing things that they recognize are ethically questionable. At the same time, they're actually genuinely devout and trying to make – tough decisions but it's because of the level of authority they have how they're protecting their interests uh they get stuck in these situations where they really have to do some soul searching and for some of them they're just unethical uh and for others they have to kind of do this dance you know and so uh i i just i think it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting show but jude law and john malkovich are superb in it i mean it's a really um, if you can watch something as an artistic piece and not get, you know, over overwhelmed. But I do think what's interesting about that show is that it does, it does humanize some of the ministry things that people go through because a lot of times people, um, 
and I get this in Miami, like I'm a Presbyterian pastor and people call me father all the time because they don't understand the difference. Right. And they're just people who walked in. And so, and there's things that go along with that. And, you know, I tell people, uh, I, I'm not, not their father. I only have one son and they're not it. Uh, you know, and so, so, the, but, the, but I get where they're coming from. It's a cultural thing. They, sure, they only yeah, mean like respect out of it. Right. Uh, but it, but it becomes one of these things where there's a certain level of power yeah. that is associated with that. Um, and I think sure. it's, I think maybe to your point about the queen and kind of royalty, maybe people who are disenfranchised, maybe there's a way for them to experience a power that they won't ever know, which to me is kind of ironic because the real power in Christ is actually with the disenfranchised. And I think if we look through history, that if we would actually embrace those folks who are disenfranchised, embrace their disenfranchised nature in Christ, they actually become more powerful than any kind of clerical official anywhere. Um, And, and where we see actually people who are humble, that people just kind of mystery around, we don't understand what's, what's going on with them. And they kind of get raised up out of nowhere on these things. Um, That's happening too. So, so it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see this game. Maybe they start, you know, with the Pope, some humble pope in the middle of nowhere and they rise to I you don't know I don't know what it's going to look like but I think they're mostly with this they're trying to uh gauge interest so it'll be interesting to see if it it gets off the ground much further than what they're that is what that they're is doing so, yeah well uh, I'll check that out maybe uh put that on the list for um pope platt pope platt <laughs> good ring to it I like it <laughs> Why not? Why yeah, not? there you go. There you go. Um, so uh, maybe changing gears for a second. Uh, I have an article here, and I think uh, this this is the last article for today. Um, jumping back into you know the situation we find ourselves in with with COVID nineteen coronavirus um, and how people are using technology to try and. Uh, make the world a safer place and help people make informed decisions and keep themselves safe. So what, what has happened is Apple and Google work together on building a uh, sort of a neutral mechanism for phones to communicate with one another, to engage with one another. Uh, right now, it's only rolled out to to certain applications on Android and Google phones, sorry, Apple and Google phones, uh, but soon this will be uh, baked into their operating systems. And basically how this works is your phone has a very low energy Bluetooth beacon, uh, which is basically just a, a Bluetooth pulse that, that uh, sends out to devices out there and it receives information back. And I mean, there's various uses today. Um, stores use that to track uh, Facebook conversions, for example. So if you've walked uh, into a shop and you saw an ad, they can link that conversion. Or I know some churches have used that to to uh, push certain actions to applications. So if you have a church app and you walk into the church, it sends you a push notification. Um, so there's there's a whole host of of uses that people have used this Bluetooth technology for before, but Apple and Google have identified that they use this already to engage with other devices. What if we start uh, doing contact tracing 
with devices. And what contact tracing is, is when somebody gets the, the coronavirus or they test positive, uh, many nations around the world are now trying to understand and backtrack the journey that, that that individual has had up until that point. So if you test positive today, they want to understand who are the people you were in contact with over the last 14 days so they can be notified to be tested as well. And uh, I mean, if you don't keep a good record of where you went, uh, it's it's difficult to do that. And, and I, I mean, I'll admit it's hard for me to know what I did five days ago, uh, let alone 14 days ago. And so what this does is every time you're in contact with people or around people for an extended period of time, uh, your phone and their phone starts exchanging unique keys. Now, these keys don't have any information as to who you are. There's nothing personally identifiable. And these keys also change every 15 minutes to ensure that the you know, organizations, corporations, and governments can't track you. But what then happens is if you if you test positive for COVID-19 and you have, for example, on the, the iPhone, I have the COVID-19 app. If you go to the COVID-19 app and, and you indicate that you've tested positively, uh, other people who right now have the app, and like I said earlier, in future, even if you don't have the app, People who have been in contact with you will get a notification that they have been in contact with someone who has COVID-19 and that they should get themselves tested. So it's really interesting to see something as pervasive as the phone. Everyone has one. Everyone has either an Android-based, a Google operating system-based, or an, an Apple-based phone. And it's interesting to see how they're using something that can help you keep track of, of who you've been in contact with albeit for a couple of minutes, and help you, on the one hand, be safe if you've been in contact with someone, or keep other people informed and safe and, and empowered to make decisions to keep themselves safe uh, if you've been tested positively for it. So I just thought that was interesting. So do you have to no, give your you consent, consent for this? So let me... It just what, so how's that work? Oh, Is your doctor? Okay. No, so just to answer that. So, yeah, so there's two parts to it. The one is right now, if you download the COVID-19 app on your device, it shares your your contact tracing information with people around you anonymously, and you don't give consent to that. And that, like I said, will also be a standard feature that they roll out into operating systems uh, moving forward. So I'm assuming it'll have an on and off. I don't think you can feature. turn it off. No. <laughs> yeah. See that? See that's really interesting. I mean, so then how do when you are diagnosed, you have COVID nineteen? Like, does do you indicate that you have it, or does your so that's medical a great question. practitioner indicate um, it? And it's important to note that in this entire process, your information is not shared, and your result is not shared if you don't specify it. So if you test positively, it is still the obligation, the onus, and the responsibility is still yours to go into the app and tap, yes, I have tested positively. And so from there, it can be shared okay. with people who have been in contact. But um, yeah, there's no, there's no overreach there. <laughs> well, I just think about this. I think about this with like, like, I mean, you yeah, could have yeah. really sensitive information, right? Someone could yeah. have like a STD and, and all of a sudden it's like all everybody they know knows that they have this and they, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something where it's just like, 
It's like, oh, my coworkers all know now that I have like what, like whatever. Well, you know what I mean? Duncan and it's like, <laughs> like, has tested positive. Of, of course, I thought. Of, yeah, the the pastor thinks of the worst case scenario, but the but the you know like. <laughs> but it's like you would think at some point that'd be like, well, wait a second. Could people kind of get uh, marked in a way where they they yeah. lose out on opportunity? Because if you kind of went down the downward spiral of that, right, like it's like uh, sometimes people sometimes people work through like mm-hmm. pretty serious disease even and they work through it. And it's not contagious, but it's like they've got cancer or they've got whatever and they're working through it and nobody knows yeah. that they're working through it. Uh, but would if somebody knew, and the reason they don't tell people is if somebody knew, would that change their impression of them? Oh, absolutely. Or you know, would they? Would they? Yeah, I mean, and so, and then you know, like from, I don't know. It, it, it's just kind of interesting as to what you'd have to share and what you wouldn't. The other thing is, is do you think people are going to yeah. want to do this? Like, like if if I if I get COVID, which you and I could have had it already, we have no way to know. And I had a cold for like you know, I don't know, a yeah. month, right? Who knows what that was, right? It's like like I said before, it's one thing about COVID nineteen; yeah. it makes us all hypochondriac. I couldn't right? breathe. So, I couldn't so, breathe last week. So it the reality it was just is, anxiety about COVID nineteen. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was just. It was just. A oh yeah, you're right. That's why we were breathing heavy. I, I, I thought it was. I thought it was my actual my breath but no it's just i was listening to my pocket so 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 anyhow but uh so anyhow when you know when we think about that stuff like you know part of it it becomes this it becomes this larger thing of like how how do i want to share that do i want to share that information with people um because you know at some point does it stigmatize you uh and and i think it's i think that's a fair thing like like now if we've been in isolation, right? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't really matter. You know, yeah. I haven't gone anywhere for almost a month, right? Uh, like I haven't even gone to the grocery store. My wife's been been doing that, right? So I haven't got gas. I haven't done anything. What I have done is I've walked around the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I go out and get my ten thousand steps in, right? And so if there was somebody across the street from me or or whatever, you know what I mean? Maybe it would tell them, oh, you were. You know what I mean? But then does it, how does it, you know, it's like there was an article I saw about uh, when people run or they cycle, how you can get essentially in their jet stream behind them. And that increases the potential for you to get COVID-19, even if they're breathing hard and they have it, you can be in there. If you're behind them and you're cycling, for example, you could be like way behind them. You'd be 20 feet behind them and get COVID-19 the way they're, the way they're talking about it. So, yeah. those odds are probably small, you know what I mean? But at the same time is, is like, well, so that's, how far that's does two it challenges that connect? they've identified? You know I mean? mean, and you know, um, I didn't even think of that. So, uh, bravo. Um, but the, the interesting thing about that is, and I think a lot of people didn't think about this because they rolled it out and they started realizing these same challenges was if you're sitting in a room and there's someone on the other side of the wall, um, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like I walk by, like I walk by four hundred people's yeah. homes. Right, you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, they're all like, "Oh no, uh, Chris Bank was outside." Like we don't even know who that is, you know. Like, and so they're all freaking out, you know. Like, but it's like, oh great, yeah. you just created I, one yeah. person just created mass hysteria in yeah. this community. That's hitting that's a single button. Something to yeah. think about. There's something there. Um, so that's I, drive your car real slow. <laughs> 
Yeah, around the, around the neighborhood. Gave, <laughs> just gave me an idea for this I'm an weekend. Agent of um, chaos. No, so so that's the one <laughs> challenge. The other challenge is um, so this beacon also only sends every five minutes. So you could literally be sitting or walking past someone when the beacon hits. It exchanges these keys, these identifiable keys, and uh, and you you're on your way. And I mean, you have no exposure to that person, but because of the time it picks up so there are obvious challenges yeah. to this i think the it's it's not i don't think google or apple perceive this as a silver bullet that is going to be 100 percent accurate but at least it's going to give you or it's going to empower you with information to be able to take care of yourself just to say the good news is it's not going to have anybody's name associated with that even even apple and google and the app itself the way it works doesn't know who you are in terms of how the information is conveyed to these users. Wait, so so they just get like you've been in contact yeah, with right. somebody and you don't know who? <laughs> that is more terrifying, <laughs> I think, even <laughs> because it's yeah. like then the unknown, right? Like you're literally walking around people's houses at night, yeah. like woo, you're like the boogeyman, freaking everybody out. Like I, that's horrible, if you ask me. Like that, I, I'm not signing up. You convinced me. <laughs> You convinced me not to sign up. <laughs> I'm never upgrading my app, my iPhone again. I'm downloading the app. You're not installing the update. <laughs> the question is, is if we go into a transhumanist state where we are in a new reality, will that stuff show up all the time anyhow? It just shows up and follows you around. You have a little COVID <laughs> molecule above your head or something. like it's Red. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, those are that, yeah, that yeah. is that's oh, an episode of Black Mirror, right? There. Yeah. That's an episode, and it's real. And they're rolling yeah. it out like well, this is it's, so It's helpful. funny to see the different perspectives now, on that because <laughs> I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is great. I want to know, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's great if you really want to live that introvert life. This is life. another reason to stay at home. Because <laughs> now... Like why? Why does nobody <laughs> yeah. want to hang out with okay. me ever? Anymore? Maybe maybe like, I should clarify. I'm not talking about out. the red they bubble over out. my head. I'm just talking about the push notification <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but no. they don't know who it is at all. They don't know. They just yeah. know. So I, I mean, I read the, the the summary of the white paper explaining this, and and it makes sense the way it's positioned. And you know, Albert Einstein said, if you can explain something really simply, you. You, you really understand it. I can't explain it simply. It's going to take another podcast to do that, <laughs> to just boil it down. Um, Does, can the guy no. from Valve? <laughs> I think he enjoys the technicality yeah, of it, it, so he'll... <laughs> but the yeah, long yeah, and the short of it is the way it, it generates keys um, and the way the, the cryptography works is even Apple and Google don't know who the persons were when those keys were issued at that point in time. So there's no way for anyone to know who the person was, but uh, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a, a great notification. Scares you. But it is fascinating because think oh, yeah. about this with targeted advertising. So so all of a sudden you have five people in one proximity, and you have a billboard that's able to change in Times Square to meet the specific needs of the people who are there. And all of a sudden, you can target, you can impulse advertise based on people's search yeah. history, just like you do on the internet, right? But all of a sudden, it's doing it in mass. And they don't need to know any of that information about you. All they need to know is that they're, in, they're uh, helping you to spend money. 
And then they would know who spent money based and based on their location, when and where they were to do it. And so the question is, and this is if you've again, I'm if you watch Westworld, right? Like uh, they're they're saying in Westworld, hey, uh, actually, this is fascinating, too, because this uh, week of of Westworld, if you didn't watch it, uh, they they're talking about uh, an A.I. God creating an AI God. This is coming out of the, the former Uber exec, Anthony Lewandowski's, uh, um, there's a, a, I don't know, a year or two ago, an article about how he wants to create an AI God. Uh, and he filed like nonprofit uh, no for, for this. Look it up. I mean, it's like, a, it was a significant article. Yeah, it was all over. I got, I was quoted in that uh, on, on one of the ones uh, in the yeah. Guardian or, or one of those things. Because people, they were looking for different perspective, but there were a bunch of articles on Lewandowski doing this. And that's exactly what Westworld's talking about. And what the AI God is, is it's essentially an aggregation, an aggregate of all the uh, information about human beings put together in a way that, that uh, helps to forecast and direct what they do. Uh, And so as we start thinking about this tech, this tech could be really helpful but I also is like, well, what's the control and who's actually monitoring monitoring Apple and Google? You know, just tiny know. little companies yeah. that don't have much power in the world. Who's who, who's monitoring them? You know, to say Facebook uh, is this helpful do that. or not? They volunteered. So, uh, said we'll we'll keep them honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> great. just on that. So I don't want to spend too much time on that because we could we could do a whole podcast on that. But yeah, but the reverse is happening. I mean, if you like I said, if you see there's two parts to it, if you see an ad on your phone for cat food or your favorite Italian restaurant, for example, if you see the ad and you actually go four days later. It knows because that restaurant set up a beacon in the restaurant that tracks the fact that you went similarly we can do that as well and say well if you've spent time in a store your phone picks that up it communicates that to facebook facebook can start start sending you ads or or targeting ads google can do the same um to promote whatever you were looking at i mean they could put that in the perfume section and you'll get ads for perfumes so i think this the the problem is we, we spoke about the human computer interface uh, to some degree, our phones have already started doing that, although not with a brain, but this no has question. become your physical embodiment of the digital world. Well, and, and, and I don't know how many times you've had it happen, but there's people yeah. that I'm not friends with Facebook on that yeah. I type zero things in a search on, but I say their name and it shows up on my Facebook page. And that's happened way too many times. So it's like, hmm. You're probably listening yeah. to everything I'm saying right now, you know, like, and you can say what you want about what the laws are, but I'm sure the reality is, is, well, yeah, you know, every 15 minutes we change the encryption key. So we don't know what anybody's saying, but you know, your little AI God, yeah. cause supercomputer over there seems to be processing that information pretty well. Right. And so, so I, I do think these things really become interesting when we oh, start absolutely. looking at data privacy and, do, I mean, do we have privacy at this point? Are we allowed to? And and it's also, you know, a question about maybe maybe there needs to be more functionality to be able to turn off tracking and still be able to 
you know, have access because it's a real safety issue. Like if I turn off, if I turn off my cell service, right, then I don't have the safety that goes along with that, but I also don't have the tracking that goes along with that. So it's like, I'm going to sacrifice my safety for my freedom. Right. And that's that kind of old dynamic that people always talk about. Like, what are we willing to give up? I mean, we have that going on with the government now, how much control are we willing to give to the government, uh, you know, to protect us, but how much freedom are we willing to give up to do it? Uh, Right. And it's that, it's that thing. And we're always forced to make those conversations. The question is, are there certain freedoms when we give them up that we don't get them back easily? Uh, And I think that's where it gets, you know, more difficult because you could go off the grid, but if somebody already has a certain slice of your life where they can check your patterns, they could estimate based on other aggregations of data and the information they know about you, what the light likely scenarios are for you. Uh, and that they could, you know, come up with what might happen. So, so I think that stuff all becomes really fascinating as we talk about that. Uh, but we've probably got future conversations oh, about that, uh, in the future, right? Uh, yeah. In the, in the near future, uh, as, as now we all find out everyone's got COVID. <laughs> You've yeah, all thank been you for, exposed thank you for driving up somewhere. and down the streets, Christopher. I can't, I can't get a test. I can't get a test because there's none available. Yeah. But my phone yeah. will know well. <laughs> that I've been that I've been in contact with nine billion people uh, who have it uh, by by proximity. That's, I want to awesome. I want to say a last thing here. It's so hard for me because every time every time you say something, there's it triggers a memory in my mind. It's like oh. I just have to, you know, tell this story because it's brilliant. Um, so I remember reading about this as I was doing doing some some research for one of my papers in in um, school, and it was about how big data has has um, become this this goldmine for pre- predictions and predicting how people live their lives. And there was a story. This is about eight years ago. I actually just pulled it up as as you were talking about a girl who found out that she was pregnant. Um, or let me see here. She she found out she was pregnant because Target started sending her uh, mailers with with goods for kids. Yeah. I, I remember that. And so, um, yeah. and it was because she changed her spending patterns because she was pregnant, but she didn't know it. And so um, it's just it's just fascinating to see how exactly that. It's, I mean, they didn't have a phone. They didn't have some chip implanted. They didn't have uh, an overreach of information, per se. They just used information based on spending habits. And they were able to, you know, based on how other people are, are spending and the result, make a prediction and they were right. And it's scary. And I think that's eight years ago. Eight years ago. Right, the iPhone is twelve years ago right. old. It's like well, that's what I said. When Zuckerberg was sitting on his booster seat before Congress, you know, I I think the reality is is he can give stupid, simple responses to people because he knows, and I mean, people don't want to hear it, but he knows he knows more about the people he's talking Absolutely. about than they know about themselves because he's got all the data. And, and it's like, he can just give, Hey, oh, shucks. We don't know. But the reality is, is he could know a lot real quick if he wanted to. 
and uh, and so you know uh, that kind of gets circles us back into like what is what is the virtue ethic uh, on which we trust folks to make these decisions on our behalf, and you know and and even bigger than that is like what happens when technology can prevent us from making decisions that we would kind of as a group agree are not helpful. Uh, and should we be able as a group to be able to make those assessments? We do, right? We make laws, we make, we make all these things, but should we be able to make those assessments or should people be able to choose, you know, to make the, to make the wrong decision? And, and I think that it's a really gets into an interesting conversation about how do you get, how do you parse all that out? Because if we can have data that'll lead us to go, Hey, uh, you're going to develop an addiction and, and two years, if you keep down this path, you know what I mean? Uh, can you prevent somebody from something that destroys their life? But at the same time, sometimes it's the thing that destroys our life that gives new birth to what it means to really be us. And it's not until, you know, the people I know that are in recovery usually have a more authentic view of themselves than they did, you know, because they went through something terrible. And, and so it really brings into all these, all these questions is like, is this, um, you know, is this gonna reveal who we are when we go through the bad thing and how much of the bad thing should we prevent? You know, I would think if we could determine like, Hey, we, if we did X, we won't get cancer. Then we would all say, let's not do X and we should keep people from doing X. Right. There are things like that. Um, on the flip side of that are, are there things of lesser degree where we go, eh, maybe that's not so bad that they go through that. Like school of hard Absolutely. knocks actually has something to teach us. And I, I, I don't know. I think they're interesting discussions. And I, I think with this tech coming out, we're only going to have more and more of those. <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> so, well, it's been great. It's been great. Uh, another good week. And, uh, hopefully we'll, <laughs> We keep talking about Darth Vader because our we know we've we've had some on our exhales for whatever reason we've had some Darth Vader ish sounds in our initial podcast so we're working on it uh, but uh, uh, but the but the reality is is that uh, I think it's great for us Absolutely. to be able to have these conversations and and you know hopefully just like this technology that's going to track all of our COVID scares. Uh, you know, uh, it'll get better as it goes yeah. along and we will too. So, <laughs> so, so with that, I think maybe we should call it a wrap and, uh, and we'll see folks next week.